0: chapter six and you know technology can be funny at times the power was on so i don't know we have a few stories one day i'll tell you um one of those stories but i don't want to open up with that today but uh, thanks mom for the little direction we can't hear you am i loud enough though is this a good volume okay perfect and those of you online, you're just going to have to uh, deal with it because we don't have anybody monitoring the online uh, stuff today. So, uh, But I hope that uh, you'll be encouraged and blessed as uh, we go through the Word together today. So let me ask you a question. How many of you want life to go well for you? Why not? How about enjoying a long life of promise in the land? Amen. We're going to look at that very aspect today in Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, and I believe it's a promise of Scripture that when we look at what is uh, spoken here, an exhortation to the Apostle Paul, to the believers in Ephesus, that it's something that if we really sink our teeth into, when we can align our heart and our mind with the promises that, are, uh, that come forth in this part of the passage of scripture that it'll really minister to us and we will see this promise being unleashed, if you will, in our life. We'll experience the many blessings of God even in the midst of challenge and difficulty. Before I get into this chapter, there's this quote that I want to share, and I think we'll have it on the screen in a second. It says this, living busy and productive doesn't give you your worth. Living for God does. We'll put it up again for you. It says here, living busy and productive doesn't give your life worth. Living for God does. Just look at that for a second. Living busy and productive lives doesn't give your life worth. Living for God does. How many of you can testify to that? Amen. I know one, you know, when you really step back and look at the days that have passed, you can surely say, oh, amen, I can see how that definitely is true. But sometimes in the present, for many different reasons, we may not necessarily see it because we're not living it living God's truth really is living. So let's look to Ephesians chapter 6 and it's something that many of us had heard time and time again and I believe it really fits well into where we, where we left off two weeks ago we're starting this new series called A Worthy Pursuit and we began with a worthy pursuit of honesty. Honesty is the best policy. It's something that we're all working on by the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives and so the other age we want to look at is the honor perspective. Honoring. Honoring one another. Honoring God. And so here we see the Apostle Paul says to those in Ephesus in chapter 6, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. As you heard those words being spoken, as I read them to you, there's many things that went through my own mind. It can be a challenge to honor another, sometimes even family members. Perhaps some of us didn't grow up in maybe the ideal family dynamic or household. I am blessed to say that, you know, the home that I grew up in, it was definitely a place of safety and, and love and, and, and discipline and all those types of things. And I have to agree with this passage that says, listen, children, if you obey your parents, when you honor them, that it will go well for you. It will go well for you. How many of you have had difficulties at times with your own folks? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. In this life, there are many promises and blessings of the word of God that if we truly walk in them at times, it can seem like the narrow way will experience life. And blessing. This is something that we see in our own life that honoring our fathers and mothers is not the norm in society today. It's definitely not the norm in culture. Just ask any teacher today. Just seeing how things have changed, more than likely because of dynamics at home, there's a great level of disrespect in the classroom, let alone at home. And again, some some people don't have ideal situations and setups. But I just want to look at the word honor for just a moment. The definition is helpful. Honor is defined as this. It refers to the public acknowledgement of a person's worth. Granted on the basis of how fully that individual embodies qualities and behaviors valued by the group qualities and behaviors valued by the group. There are notable qualities and behaviors. There's good qualities and behaviors, and there's bad qualities and behaviors. And here this definition shows us that we can run and listen to different voices that will try to tell us, well, this is something of honor. This is good, and this is bad. And we're living in a time in where bad is called good, and good is bad. In many respects, in talking to a few teenagers a few weeks ago out on the, the schoolyard out by HT, you know, they're talking to me about how their, their family units are very different from what I grew up with. At times, they feel like they're not supported at home, ostracized, or there's an immense amount of pressure put on them, and they can't thrive. And there's many of those statements I just couldn't relate with. Growing up, as I said earlier, it was a home that was safe, and I could feel the tangible love of my parents. Now, don't get me wrong, there are times where my parents will come alongside me, and I shared this a few weeks ago that when I did something that was unbecoming of the Pierce name, or especially as a Christian, I would hear. I would hear from my dad or my mom come alongside saying to me very simply, That's not the way that we live. And there's times gently, my father, I remember him would come alongside me and do a little bit of a course correction in my life. But when he would speak to me and share those reassuring and correcting words, in the moment I didn't want to listen. And yet, when I take a step back now and I think back on those days of my childhood, I am tremendously thankful for that support, but also the discipline. And as I look back at it, I can see in how, even though it was tough at times, when I aligned myself with the correction that was coming down the line, that I definitely saw blessing in my life. And so I just want to turn your attention just to a few little points to look at here this afternoon. It's important to safeguard ourselves with the Lord's help. To safeguard ourselves with the Lord's help. As I said during worship, there's a battle of two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of evil. There's different paths. There's different avenues that we can take. And whether it's the Apostle Paul or or Peter, they align with the teachings of Jesus who said that we are salt and light. We're meant to be different. We're meant to live different. In fact, our life is meant to be distinctively different. And I wrote this little point that's going to be a a launch pad, if you will, as we look at the rest of this passage. Is Point number two is this. As we safeguard ourselves, salvation initiates life transformation. Salvation initiates life transformation. Perhaps like me, as you read this passage, you think, this is a tall order to love one's parents, to honor one's parents, or even to honor anyone. It can be a tall order at times, and yet this is the promise of the word, that when we come into faith with Jesus, that he leads us in that transformation. It might seem difficult and sometimes impossible. What I love about looking at this passage of Scripture in Ephesians 6 is that Paul is talking to the believers in Corinth that got many things right, but they also got other things wrong. They're just like us. They're flesh and blood. They had real struggles. They had real problems. The church was growing in many respects, but was being attacked in many respects as well. And they needed to band together to affirm the importance of honor within their circle. Because again, as we looked at that definition, there will always be different groups in different camps that will dictate what is right and what is wrong. So let's look at verse 1 through 3 a little more closely. Paul is referencing here right in the beginning. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with the promise. The Apostle Paul is referencing Deuteronomy chapter 5 through 16. It's the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments. And I know many of us have read the Ten Commandments, and you look and see, it's a pretty extensive list. And at times, some would say, well, honoring your father and mother really, in many respects, should be at the top. Because that's where life begins as you're, you're raised and reared in the home. Everything else will follow suit in many respects. But here, Paul is rightfully encouraging the family unit, the family dynamic, the importance of children obeying your parents. And parents, it says in verse 4, Fathers, do not stir up anger in your children. Now, as I was reading this, I wrote down a few things. And just to, you know, for sake of time, just to share what I wrote here, I said this, Honor is not bound to a select few or certain people of a certain social status or club. It's for all of the Lord's creation, you and I are partakers of the kingdom of light. We're meant to be fruit bearers, that salt and light. This honor is not supposed to be out of a place of obligation, but rather of a loving duty. Have you ever heard it that way, that when you honor someone, when you honor the Lord, it's a place of loving duty? Duty. That's a word that I remember hearing when I was younger. You don't hear it that often anymore in the church, I have to say. But as Christians, this side of salvation, there's a duty that we have as Christ followers. And so Paul is speaking of this duty, if you will, of children obeying your parents and fathers not stirring up anger within your children. Now, I spoke of my own family dynamic and seeing how I saw this modeled in my life. I saw, um, you know, my parents in the workplace. They didn't always have very agreeable colleagues, and they did. They had great working relationships, but there's times when you don't necessarily connect with people on the same level. Not all the time. And sometimes it can be a real labor of love. And yet I saw with my own eyes because I went to the school my own father taught at and I saw how he engaged with other teachers. I saw how he engaged with other people and even his boss, his principal. And I saw how he, he lived a life of honor. I knew how he treated me at home, but seeing how he treated others out in the public space really impacted me. We've heard many times different speakers and preachers would say, you know, uh, share a story how a, a father or a mother might say, well, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> but I'm thankful many respects that I saw my own father living that example. Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. Sometimes it's a struggle, sometimes it is a a sacrifice because it calls us to do things we might necessarily be comfortable doing or want to do. Honoring our parents, let alone honoring others, can be a difficult task. Check out Colossians 3, verse 20. It says this, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. How many of you had well intentioned parents and yet maybe at times were a little too tough, perhaps? Here's a great example do not exasperate your children. Do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. We make mistakes. Even as, even as a parent myself, just this weekend alone, when Megan leaves the house, it's like the kids think it's like free range or something. They just go and do whatever they want. Not that I'm not a one of discipline. I definitely am. But they test the boundaries. My own son really tests the boundaries. He's a little locomotive. He's only three years old. But he tests the limits. Yesterday I had the fences all bound up. I had twist ties over the locks even. And he found a way to sneak through. He's found his way over the neighbor, talking up a storm with our neighbor next door, and I'm out you know I'm working on the message, and I'm looking out in the backyard and I'm thinking, "Where's Jackson? How do you get out of here? It's all bound and the gate is closed? Well, he found a way. I go side go from there, I see, yep, sure enough, he's chatting away with my neighbor, and he's having a great time. He wasn't in danger, and I came out there, of course, and I'm like, "Jackson, <laughs> what are you doing?" How did you get out? <laughs> really? And what's funny is I'm working on this message. And I'm thinking, honor your parents, Jackson, with forgetting verse four, "Fathers don't stir up anger in your children. He goes, "Oh, I'm talking to my neighbor." I'm, I'm not kidding. he uses this is his vocabulary, okay. I'm not exaggerating by any means, and this was really for me a practical illustration of this very passage. Kennedy can do her own things too, and she can she in her own ways can really test the limits. But I can attest, and we've all been there, that when you endeavor to come to your children in a place of honor and discipline, yet seasoned with kindness and understanding why they're acting out and the way they're acting out, they're going to respond in a better fashion. And so believe it or not, about 35 to 40 minutes later, Jackson got out again. And this time I actually made it to verse 4 in my preparation time. And I went out and I, t- I tried it. Ron, I actually tried it. I went out there. I was like, Jackson, come here, buddy. Comes over, you know, boom, boom, boom. Yes, daddy. Like, you, you can't leave the back. I don't know where you are. I'm, I'm worried that, you know, there's cars that come around and they might not see you and they could hit you or you're getting excited. You go across the road to see neighbor that has freezies and it's, we have a wonderful neighbor that hands out freezies in our neighborhood and he's a, he's a good guy and wonderful family. But I said, I, I'm, I'm worried about you that you might get hit by a car. And he's like, okay, daddy, okay. Very different from earlier. Oh, I've got to talk to my neighbor, right? Very different. It was a very practical application for me. I want us to quickly turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, we see this interaction of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22. And for sake of time, I'm going to read it to you here today. It says this, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father, and he replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself Will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. This is the beginning of an interaction, an encounter, where I Abraham would be leading the way for his son in the ways of God, and trusting him and being fully obedient and faithful. Here as they're bundling things, they're preparing to go to give sacrifices they were accustomed to doing of, of uh, shedding blood of an animal for forgiveness of their sins and, uh, and paying homage to God in heaven, that as they're going there, you know, children are very resourceful. They're able to notice when things are a little awry, and Isaac notices, well, where's the sacrifice? We have everything but the sacrifice. And here we see in this interaction... The answer, he says, well, God will provide the lamb. Abraham didn't respond to his son Isaac and be like, would you just trust me, Isaac? Why do you have to question? Why do you have to ask? Am I not your father? Am I not your keeper? Will I not lead us? You know, those kind of things. And it got me thinking and looking at this interaction with our passage today. We looked at this a few weeks ago, the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue can build up and tear down. Here, you know, in many respects, Abraham could have chastised Isaac, but he didn't. He just said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. There's many times we can be impatient with our children. I'm, I'm preaching to myself. I can get really impatient with Jackson. <laughs> Because, like I said, he tests me. He really does. There's a few verses to share as we go on with the rest of that story. Ephesians 4, verse 26 says this As we take children's feelings into consideration, Ephesians 4, 26, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Colossians 3, 21, fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. But Proverbs 22, verse six says this, start a youth out on his way. Even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. Here we see that Abraham is showing Isaac the way of obedience, of faithfulness, and trusting God. I have to believe, why did Isaac respond in such a, you know, befitting way. He trusted his father. He believed his father would lead him in the ways of God. He had no reason to question him other than saying, well, you know, the obvious, well, where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? But the way that this spoke to me in relation to this passage is that Abraham, like us, we have the responsibility to train our children in what matters to train them in the ways of the kingdom of God, especially living this new life in Christ. At times, sometimes parents can make the mistake of wanting to be their child's best friend first instead of being the mother and father. This is something I tell myself, even as simple and silly as um, a child not wanting to brush their teeth. Yeah, as a best friend, I can say, yeah, don't worry about it, your teeth might rot, but uh, who cares? No, as a good parent, no, you need to brush your teeth, okay? Your teeth are gonna fall out. There's, there's important decisions to be made. But when we look at this story, Abraham set in his heart to honor God no matter what. Look what happens here, the rest of the story Genesis chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 9. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. And I understand this is really graphic. This, this can be tough to assimilate into our thought life and into our relationship with God. But look what happens as he trusted and as he was prepared to take the life of his own son. It says here in verse 11, But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham! Abraham. And Abraham replied, here I am. And the angel said this, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. I can't begin to imagine what this exchange was like, what this encounter was like. One being willing to give the life of your own son, the next to actually prepare yourself to take that life. But then in the whirlwind of it all, an angel shows up and says, Abraham, stop. We know that you fear God. And then the ram presented itself. This showed firsthand Abraham's faithfulness, his obedience, and guess who was watching through it all? Isaac. Isaac was watching as his father was obedient to do such a difficult thing. And growing up for me and and living in a world, even being born in 1985, you know, sometimes you wish you'd go back in time. The world was very different even then to today. There are many things of the, of the values and morals and ethics that were more prevalent in the family units and dynamics than they are today. And yet in that moment, in that present age, in that present time, there were difficulties for parents. Man, you can relate. And yet I saw, again, my own parents living and trusting, endeavoring to be faithful in their witness. Not necessarily, definitely not getting it right all the time, Hey, eh, Mom? but I saw the the determination to want to honor God. And so just like with the Abraham and Isaac story, we see how this exchange, this encounter, really did impact Isaac. And I have to believe that the life that we live, the examples that we leave for our children, maybe even as grandparents, make no mistake, you're leaving an impact. You're making an impact. It could be as simple as going to church, On a beautiful day. It could be as simple as opening the Bible and taking time to read the word that Jesus says will never fail. That's the very life, the the bread, that if we consume it, it leads us in the way of life. And yet sometimes, I love watching a good Netflix show, but there's times where we prefer maybe to set aside the time for that new series on TV than setting aside time to get into the Word, to read it, to digest it. And I had many other notes to share with you this afternoon. One on the aspect of how could God... If God is loving and caring, how could he expect Abraham to sacrifice his own son? What kind of God would do that? And so just for a few moments, just to for sake of time, I want to look at a few of those uh, thoughts that might be going through your mind. Because every time I read that encounter, that story with Isaac and Abraham, if you're not in the place of reading the word and praying, you can get confused. You can think like, whoa, this seems really barbaric. Like, And then you can start going through scripture and listening to the voices out there that believe that God was a God of, of uh, a real anger and a, and a wrath who just wanted to pillage and destroy nations. But here we're showed in Deuteronomy chapter 12. So we're just a little side path just for a moment. A side note on child sacrifice. You see, in the land... At the time, child sacrifice was very real. Not for the people of God, but for people of other religions. It was important to them. And God instructed Moses to instruct the people to not be like them. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 31, it says this, You must not... Sorry, you must not do the same to the Lord your God because they practice every detestable act which the Lord, capital Lord, Yahweh hates for their gods. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Be careful to do everything I command you. Do not add anything to it or take anything away from it. Check this out. When the Lord your God annihilates the nations before you, which are which you are entering to take possession of the land, as you drive them out, be careful not to be ensnared by their ways after they have been destroyed before you. Do not inquire about their gods, asking how did these nations worship their gods. I'll also do the same. You must not do the same to the Lord your God, because they practice every detestable act which the Lord hates for their gods. He goes on saying, they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Be careful to do everything I command you. Do not add anything to it or take anything away from it. And sometimes you can get lost in that space and if you only read one verse out of a story, you could say, well, God is sanctioning child sacrifice. He's not. Second Kings chapter sixteen verse one it says this in the sixteenth year of Pekah son of Ramelli, Ahaz son of Jotham became king of Judah. Ahab sorry, Ahaz was twenty years old when he became king, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem. He did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, like his ancestor did, David, but walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even sacrificed his son in the fire, imitating the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had disposed before the Israelites. These were practices and things that God told his people do not have any part with. And yet we've seen throughout history I wish we could say it's only in the time of Israel, even today, even as believers and people of God, we interchange, we in, in, entwine our, our ways and our values and that with things of the world. And we sometimes get them a little crossed. It says this, Deuteronomy 28, verse 53. If you only read verse 53, watch what happens. You will eat your offspring... The flesh of your sons and daughters, the Lord your God has given you during the siege and hardship your enemy imposes on you. This is the one verse that's been used regarding that God sanctions child sacrifice. But you can't just use one verse. Just like we don't just use Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. We have to understand the whole passage that's relating specifically to Israel at a place of being in exile. But God would not leave them in exile. He would bring them through and out of exile to a time of promise and blessing. And we can take that here to today that God, yes, still has a plan and future for our lives. He's going to lead us in the way of blessing and promise. But you have to read the whole story. And so as we read the whole story, check this out. As we look at verse 45, this is regarding Moses sharing, if you do not follow the ways of God, you're going to experience difficulty. In verse 45, it says, All these curses will come and overtake you until you're destroyed. Since you did not obey the Lord your God and keep the commands and statutes he gave you. These curses will be a sign and a wonder against you and your descendants forever. Because you didn't serve the Lord your God with joy and cheerful heart, even though you had an abundance of everything. You will serve your enemies that the Lord will send against you in famine, thirst, nakedness, and a lack of everything. He will place an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation from far away, from the ends of the earth, to swoop down on you like an eagle, a nation whose language you won't understand. A ruthless nation, showing no respect for the old and not sparing the young. They will eat the offspring of your livestock and your land's produce until you are destroyed. They will leave you with no grain, no wine, fresh oil, young or your young herds. Or newborn of your flocks until they cause you to perish. Now we're at verse 52. They will besiege you within all your city gates until your high and fortified walls that you trust in come down. They will besiege you within all your city gates throughout the land the Lord your God has given you. In verse 53, and you will eat your offspring, the flesh of your sons and daughters, the Lord your God has given you during the siege, and hardship your enemy imposes on you. This situation, this circumstance, was because of their disobedience. That God used the means of another nation to come and bring about judgment, but also their own retribution. And so I say all that to say this, that as Parents, this side of the cross, this side of the blessing of Christ, you said, I did not come to abolish the law, to fulfill it. Christ fulfilled all the requirements of the law, paid the death that was required, shed the blood that was necessary so that we could be redeemed, we could be forgiven. And what I love about the words in Deuteronomy It tells us in Deuteronomy chapter six and also in nine that God says that I redeem your children. I will redeem your children. So, case in point, when Abraham took Isaac to that altar and saw what Abraham was prepared to do, he corrected him and showed him, This is not my way. I am truly different from every other God that you've heard of. I do not require the sacrifice of your children. And he provided the sacrifice. And this is something that Isaac needed to see. This is something that um, Abraham modeled for Isaac on that journey up the mountain. Because remembering the words that would come long after by Moses, it says this, Listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be on your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. And so there's the promise that when we honor God, when we honor our parents, And parents, when we live a life in a way that we don't stir up anger within our children, we're going to see this life transformation occur. We're going to see them walk in the ways and the truths of God. The story could have gone very different direction had Abraham handled it any differently. Now, I'm not sure if there's any of these points that I'm connecting um, with you here this afternoon. This is, for me, a tough passage to look at and to preach from, one, because I'm preaching myself and how I relate to my own children. Number two is looking at that it's this life of being a believer. It's not all, you know, a fairy tale. It can be tough business at times. And so Paul tells the people in Ephesus, children, obey your parents and the Lord because this is Right honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Long life in the land. I'm going to invite Ron uh, to come back up and as he prepares to lead us in worship just to make sure there's no mistakes here this afternoon, is that we understand when we look at honoring, it says, so it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. We understand that every blessing comes through faith in Jesus Christ. We know that we're not saved by works, but we're saved by grace through faith. This promise, yes, is speaking directly to the people of God, the, the Israelites, those commandments that were given to them on stone tab- tablets, but God also said, I will write them upon your heart. I will replace your, your heart of stone with the heart of flesh. That we wouldn't need to rely on, on tablets, but rather by the leading, prompting, moving of God's Holy Spirit in our life to want to honor him, with our life, to walk in a way that we're encouraging our children and we're encouraging one another to walk in a way of honor. So that's something I want to leave with you this afternoon as we go to a place of worship. We're told this in Deuteronomy 5.10. But I will show faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Never underestimate the impact that you have, the impact that you can make in your family um, relationships and with all people in that regard. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that, you know, even as simple as it can sound, honor your parents. Parents, do not stir up anger in your children, but train them up in the instruction of the Lord. Father, it can seem so simple and yet can be difficult at times. Holy Spirit, would you enable us to embody your word, your living word that was shown to us by Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you that you showed us how to live. You blazed a trail for us to follow. You invite us to follow the narrow way that leads to life. And Lord, I pray that this promise that is ours of of living, living right and experiencing wellness in the land, that as we honor one another, as we honor our parents, when we take upon this mutual responsibility for one another, that we experience a true blessing. Would you help us to live after your word today? Help us to write these words on our hearts, to talk about them even when it's uncomfortable, especially when it's unpopular. Help us that we will be living examples for our children, for our grandchildren, and for our families. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much. You provide for us. May you be honored in all that we do, above all, in Jesus' name.